What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the DOW Freedom Fighters podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're back with another episode. Um, got an awesome guest today. Uh, I like to call him the Cajun Persuasion <laughs> by way of Arkansas. Uh, awesome guy, good friend of ours. Um, cool story. Uh, he's he's become very successful. He's a veteran, combat veteran. Um, and uh, don't try to spell his last name because you'll get it wrong. Uh, <laughs> Wes Gotro, welcome, buddy. Oh, it's good to be here. I think uh, the Buffer Brothers may have some competition with that introduction. <laughs> we do what we can, man. We do what we can. We try to make you feel special yeah i appreciate it <laughs> i'm glad to be here yeah man we're excited to have you on uh so what branch of service was you in uh i served in the army okay all right yep uh, i was in the army for 11 years um total um i started off as enlisted um i joined in 2003 uh i think the exact day was december 9th and uh I was 17, so. Oh, young buck. Yeah. yeah. Green. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was one of those situations where, you know, kind of looking at finances, kind of trying to figure out, hey, how am I going to, you know, I, I knew I wanted to further my education and uh, didn't have a way to do that other yeah. than college, so, or other than joining the military to get them to pay for college. Yeah. Right. So, essentially, uh, that was the main motivation, you know, there's talking to Lee the other day and and you know remember being in high school uh, in biology class and seeing the whole twin towers go down in that whole scenario it was oh, wow. a pretty motivating factor as well uh seeing classmates above me going joining the military so uh, i followed suit nice yeah that's awesome um so 2003 did you have to do the debt program uh, no, I I enlisted in 2003, but I actually didn't ship out. So I graduated high school on, uh, I want to say it was like May 23rd of, of 2004, and ended up shipping like to basic two days later. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. So I uh, ended up going, I did my basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. I did a uh, combat engineer, uh, 21 Bravo. And uh, I did this straight through. Well, I guess what they call OSIT program, where it's you do basic AIT all in one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it was a total 18 months total is what I spent there. Um, beautiful, beautiful place, Fort yeah. Leonard Woods. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wood, yeah. I think we experienced every single bit of weather you possibly could every oh, season yeah. in that three months. So. Oh, That's yeah. where, like, the Marine Corps will send, I think, Motor T goes there. M- Motor T, MPs. MPs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we did oh, I, We did run into some Marines there that were yeah. doing training as well. Well, actually, so. it's kind of funny you said that. I was in Fort Leonard Wood when 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I was there to get, get my license to be able to drive – they didn't used to just give you license to mm-hmm. like or you do know. it there on base. Or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. They used to make you go and, and get certified in all of them, you know. So, um, yeah, I it was kind of funny because whenever it happened, we go. So we walk out. You know, we're used to seeing the, the we call them recruits, but the you know the the guys that are you know going there to boot camp, and uh, we're used to seeing them out every day they're out running they're you know <clears throat> and for some reason that morning we didn't pt so we we got you know we got down there in the formation of course you got on the cattle cars and mm-hmm. rode down and, and got to the parade deck we call it and where they made us form you know have formation got there and it was it was just like an odd you know we had no tvs i mean i think there was one tv in our barracks like it was out in like a commissary everybody could go to it but we left so early, nobody had time. You know, you jumped up and went, you know. So, hadn't seen any news yet, nothing. And uh, we get in formation, and I remember this sergeant, he'd come up, come by us, and he's like, uh, y'all, y'all keep yourself squared away this morning. We're going to have a visitor. And we're like, okay, you know. And so these two Humvees pull up, and all these people get out, a couple, couple officers, you know, higher ranking master sergeants master gunnery sergeants you know first sergeants i'll get out and we're like what's going on they were like um of course this is a huge class of guys that are just there for their mos you know and they were like raise your hand if you're from new york 
some guys raise your hand or like fall out you know raise your hand if you're from here you know so anyway these people all fell out and when they left that's when they finally told us they were like well boys get ready to change those greens to desert because we're getting ready to go and and uh they told us and then we got to the chow hall where everybody's watching this but the army kind of just shut down because they weren't sure where i don't think the one had landed yet at this time of the morning i don't think the was it maryland in the field yeah mm-hmm. i think that one was still up they didn't know where it was at you know so they locked us down i mean we couldn't hardly get chow that you know so anyway i mean we were there for like three more days they were like you know get back right. <laughs> so they pulled me in it was me and two other guys there that went right back to camp pendleton but um yeah that's where we were man we was there on the on the wood wow a lot of hills there buddy yeah yeah i was that was a sophomore and i remember i was in english class and you know my teacher had she had family in new york but uh like it was so surreal like i couldn't it's almost like you were watching a movie because yeah. you're like, dude, there's no way yeah. that, that anybody did that, you know, and what, and, and that's what, obviously my dad, you know, I've talked about how, how he was in the military and that kind of was what provoked me to want to join, um, almost join the Navy. Thank God I went to the <laughs> Marine Corps. No offense. Just kidding. I like to give my dad a hard time about that, but, uh, we like to give each other a hard yeah, time. Yeah, so, and we're allowed to do that, you That's know. Right. So, uh, but I just remember it being so surreal and, and like, that cementing the fact that I, I was going to, to join the military. And then you got, you know, all these other people, these 343 firemen who gave their lives and, Absolutely. you know, yeah. running. I mean, dude, there's so many cool documentaries out there. Um that you can watch about these guys that weren't even on duty that are stuck in traffic, get out, leave yeah. their vehicles, run to a, the closest firehouse, get gear, and they're running up while everybody's running out, you yeah. know. And actors, yeah, oh man, all kinds of people. Before. Yeah, right. um, and I think one of the things, like in the, in the videos or the pictures, like you see, you know, that woman who jumped out, like and had like covered herself up because she was wearing a skirt. Just, I'm yeah. like. It just even blows my mind. Fear. Just wanted the decency, yeah. you know, and that like, even as a sixteen-year-old kid, I think it, it just it really pissed me off, yeah. you know, and it, I was like, I I got to do something about that, and that's I I say all the time, I don't ever want to see another September 11th, but I'd love to see another September 12th. Right. Yeah. So. Let's go on. So you were, you say a sophomore in high school, or that was you? What were he you was, in? We were both. We were yeah, we're, graduate yeah. Oh, same graduated year. same yeah. year. Absolutely. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I, I I guess for me what stuck out the most was kind of the the denial. You know, even on the media, it seemed like after the first plane hit, you know, you heard the, the people that were on TV, they were questioning whether this was deliberate, um, right. you know, whether there was an accident. You know, I think in, in the back of my mind, I remember thinking, why you know the trained pilots i don't think they would accidentally crash into a building they would try you know to to go into a field or you know away from the main part of the city yeah in the middle of times square so i just remember the denial and maybe even after the second plane hit they were still questioning like you know what's going on here how is this happening right no yeah Uh, well we just never have been since pearl harbor we've not been attacked absolutely it's it's mind-blowing that somebody I don't know how, how else to put it, but had the cojones to to do that. Yeah, you know, um, and we were kind of we were kind of on easy street at that time. Mm-hmm. We thought, you know, no, that's not going to happen. So, what better way to attack somebody is when they got their guard down? Yeah, you know? complacency so, kills. That's right. So, all right. So you went to Fort Leonard Wood, yep. engineering. Yep. So I uh, went to Fort Leonard Wood. I completed uh, basic and AIT. Uh, I tell people I really never left Fort Leonard Wood because it seemed like it was soon thereafter. Uh, I got called up to MOBE, and they started sending me to courses for that mobilization. Uh, we were told that we were going to do something called route clearance, which when I talked to guys that had been deployed before, they were like, oh, yeah, everybody does route clearance. You know, they, I mean, you're just driving up and down the road, and everybody's looking for IEDs. Well, <laughs> what they didn't tell us was that, you know, they were putting these route clearance packages together with these specific MRAP vehicles that were meant to be, uh, not really meant to be, but were able to handle blast mm-hmm. uh, a little bit better than the packages that were already in country. 
And so I got to stay at Fort Leonard Wood and go through uh, what they called R2C2 course. It's a route reconnaissance and route clearance, I think is what it stood for. And I got trained on all of those vehicles and uh, went through that course. And then I'm wanting to say it was in like January 2006 is where I, when we eventually mobbed up. Um, and we ended up in Baghdad. I was stationed at Camp Striker. Um, I remember that, you know, I was 19 at the time and, uh, we got there and was kind of told, you know, at that time there were some guys in our unit that had been deployed before, but for the most part, you know, that, uh, that early time frame, a lot of the younger guys had never been deployed, didn't know what to expect. Right. You know, I guess the, the good thing though, is that we were at a place that was wasn't like a, in the middle of nowhere, like a combat outpost or anything. You know, we were there co-located at Biop with yeah. uh, like Camp Victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think General Petraeus was there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, we had a lot of great amenities. Um, but our mission, you know, uh, essentially took us out on the routes every night. Uh, we were clearing uh, the routes for logistic convoys. So what that entailed was uh, we'd usually leave our FOB, around seven eight o'clock at night and we're doing deliberate route clearance all the way down main supply route tampa Mm -hmm. uh, to to clear the road of explosives for logistic convoys and uh at the time i guess at first i thought man this is crazy like what are we doing you know and then then when you go through there and you see some of those logistic convoys and even just the smallest types of ieds you know taking out a whole convoy it really kind of put a meaning to what our mission was there right Yeah, that's, it's, you know, we, of course, when I got there, I mean, we're talking soft shell Humvees, oh, yeah. and, you know, and I mean. Chicka chicka old school. Oh, yeah, yeah, sandbags. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Oh, yeah, dude. They were cutting pieces off, you know. Generation kill. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, right. we were cutting pieces off old tanks and, you know, CBs would, would be welding stuff on, strapping stuff, you know, just whatever they could, you yeah. know, laying it in the floorboard, what whatever, you know. So they quickly, you know, within within a year they realized we got to do something different here, you know? Yeah. So thank God, because yeah. I mean, and it's, it was different because we had, by that time they, there was already that initial push. And so there wasn't a whole lot of IEDs, mm-hmm. you know, at our time. Cause we, we hit them so many different ways. They didn't know which way was coming, you know, and, and so fast. And, but then here we are, we're setting up fobs, we're setting up, you know, post, outposts and everywhere. And they knew we we're going to be there for a while. So that's when it's time to start, you know, they started making their plans, getting those IEDs, you know, planted and, and, and it worked, you Absolutely. know, for them for a while. I mean, it, it, it put, when, like you said, man, it shuts down a whole convoy, which calm, like you said, logistics and calm, you know, that's your supply, that's your radios, that's mm-hmm. Your life that's lines. the main things you break down because yeah. that's the first things we go after. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, that, if you stop their food and their and their and their calm where they can't communicate and they yeah. can't survive, they're gonna give up. Ammunition you know? too, and ammunition. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so, the biggest. Yeah, and, that's the biggest. And so. I think I don't think people quite understand, you know, the how innovative they get. So you go from like a soft shell to you know an armored Humvee. They're gonna find a way to get in. A blast bomb. through that, Absolutely. and then you're up armored, and there, I mean, all kinds of stuff that they come up with, yeah. you know, um, like they're smart, like they know what yeah. they're doing. They, they take stuff that you and I could have in our house, mm-hmm. and they turn it into an, a, a an deadly explosive. explosive. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, not to jump track. Um, on our second deployment, we did a lot of our own evidence collection when it came to IEDs, and what we found is, uh, and we would use this as a training tool. Uh, we would find pressure plates that everything, all the components for the IED were things that soldiers were throwing away on the fobs. Mm -hmm. So like scrap wood was used for the pressure plate. And then like uh, uh, pieces of bandsaw were used for the inner parts, you know, so when the pressure plate uh, uh, collapses and it closes the circuit, yeah, closes the circuit, um, and then the batteries were mm-hmm. were old batteries that soldiers were throwing away in the trash. All they need is a little bit of juice to get a to get a pump going through. Um, and then on the outsides of the pressure plate itself was flip flops, shower shoes that they would use to offset the boards. So every single component 
for the initiation system for the IEDs were being uh, taken. trash. Yeah, it was trash that we were throwing away. So they were, yeah, but they were utilizing what we were considering trash, throwing mm-hmm. it away, to, you know, turn around and use it. It's a method of, of of destruction to them, you know, and and you think about that. Uh, that's I don't want to give too much credit, but you know, I mean, you have to. I yeah. mean, it's it's it's, it's it's actually genius of what they could survive off of. We know that, you mm-hmm. know, survive off of and use to to do those types of things. It's, I mean, engineering wise, it's <laughs> it's a masterpiece, really. Yeah, you it know, is. so yeah. for you to get to see that, and that's really cool because I mean, that's something like I didn't get to see much mm-hmm. of. I mean, you know, EOD would come and get it, and you know, yeah, that was it for us. But but you know, it's it's. It's cool to hear that, like that that side of where you actually broke it down and studied, and so you guys had an eye for that stuff, yeah. you know. When it, you know, and it's funny that it's not funny, like haha, but it's 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 an odd thing to think of for for civilians, but I know you know people that have been through those and like you have seen so many. They're looking for that stuff still today at yeah. home, you mm-hmm. know. Like hey, w- you know, watch that. You know what what is that right there? Right. You know what I'm saying? And right. I get it. I yeah. get it. So. I, I think that that's a, a unique part of, you know, this whole this whole thing, and a lot of people don't see that side of it. So I think that's really cool. You know, I'm I'm glad that you're telling that part because so many people don't understand what it what it was that they used against us. You know, mm-hmm. and what a mastermind it took to, man. If we just had a flip flop, hey, go grab that flip flop over there, and that'll that'll counterweight this, and it won't set us and set off and blow us up. It'll you know, so it'll make sure that this pressure point's just enough, high enough, just yeah. when that Humvee goes over, it'll blow them up, you know. And, oh, yeah. And what makes it even more scary is that especially, like, because we spent time going, you know, say to Ramadi or whatever, and a lot of these towns like that, the streets are littered with trash mm-hmm. and garbage. Everywhere. So, like, it's it's almost like you pucker up and you, let's go because yeah. you just don't know. Yeah, well, know? and that's why so many get to be so complacent. You know, they realize it, you know, and they pinch point you down bridges and things like that, roads that you have to go down, things uh-huh. like that. So, um, yeah, man. So go ahead. Go ahead and keep, keep sure. going. Sure. So uh, during that deployment, um, as a battalion at the time, we had set a record for the most IED fines in country for that year. Our battalion, uh, which consisted, uh, well, I should mention this. My company was the only one stationed at Biop. Our the rest of our battalion was at Ramadi. Or, I'm sorry. Um, not Ramadi. I'm trying to think of the uh, Camp Anaconda. That's where they were. Balad. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were in Balad, and as a battalion, uh, over that year span, we found over a thousand IEDs wow. off of MSR Tampa. Um, and so, what I come to realize is, you know, there was periods like fighting seasons. We would go out at an, on a night, and I think there was one night we found six. Three before we even left just the the ECP gate, you know, wow. right there, right before you get onto Tampa, uh, MSR Tampa, our main yeah. supply route. So um, I guess part of that had to do, you know, I was also there when Bush had announced the troop surge. And so there oh, was yeah. a, lot of, a lot of activity going on at the time. Um, but, yeah, we – man, I, I can't say too much about our unit there. Uh, we did lose some guys in the battalion – but, you know, it's, it's a part of it. You know, it's the part of the war. And, and, you know, especially the job we were doing, I can't think we kind of went in there expecting to have some casualties, you know. Sure. Um, kind of to, to backtrack a little bit, you know, we got those MRAP vehicles, but we also were getting the first edition. Yeah. So uh, interesting thing about that is the uh, Department of Defense actually purchased these from South Africa. They were used as SWAT vehicles. They made absolutely no sense as a military vehicle at the when we first got them because, y- like where your truck commander's sitting and where your driver's sitting, you don't have a door to exit the vehicle. The only exit out of the vehicle is the very back of the vehicle, and wow. you have to crawl over the gunner's uh, mount, through the gunner's legs to get to the back of the vehicle to get out. And so there was a lot of things over time, kind of like uh, you were saying earlier about making changes on the vehicle. We were doing things too, like uh, we were taking like our toilet paper rolls and and uh, taping them together so we could have AC up front, you know, just <laughs> things a, like that, you know, because yeah. you're, you're you're out there eight. Sometimes we were twenty four hours in a, a, a day, 
and you're you're suffering in that vehicle you need some ventilation oh yeah um so after your first was that like the end of your first deployment like an entire first enlistment or no so after my first deployment i ended up uh Staying in my my uh, first contract as enlisted, and a year before uh, my sixth year, I re-enlisted. And on that re-enlistment, a year after that, is when um, I kind of got tricked into it. I, I hate to say it this way, but the military was, tricked you? <laughs> you no, know, there, no way, man. There was an officer. <laughs> you know, there was an officer recruiter coming around. He's like, uh, you know, who might be interested in OCS? And uh, I had enough college credits. I'd been taking college as I went, you know, and just online and, and what I could fit into the schedule. But he was like, who who might be interested in OCS? And I can't remember what incentive he had offered, but the way he had kind of sold it to me was, hey, man, you just show up for this, and you just got to listen to the spiel, kind of like those uh, – what are those things that they do at Branson? Oh, yeah, the um – like a ch- time timeshare, time yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like a timeshare. So I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll go. I'll show up, you know. And I remember we went to the brave. They told us about OCS, and then uh, at the end of it, they're like, "All right, well, we'll see you back at this day." And I'm like, "Wait a second, what, what did I do?" You know. And I was like, you know, I started to give it some thought, and you know, you've got those guys in the in the units. They're always like, "Man, if I was the leader, this is what I would do," or you know, kind right. of always critiquing right. the leader. Oh, yeah. And so I kind of, I was like, I'm going to eat my words on this one. I'm going to give it a shot, you know. And so I ended up doing OCS as, I think it was a total of 14 months of training um, in between Salina, Kansas, uh, Fort Benning, and then uh, Fort McClellan, Alabama is where I finally did my phase three. And uh, after that, this is where it comes back to me again. Right after I get done with training, I go back to Fort Leonard Wood to do, to go do engineer officer basic course, which is a four month course where you're essentially learning everything in the engineer field as an officer. So, you know, my goal was to get back to a unit. I wanted to be a combat engineer officer. That's my roots. That's what I wanted to do. Right. Um, but essentially what ended up happening is as an officer, you're supposed to know every part. So geospatial engineering, horizontal, vertical construction, uh, Demolitions, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then um, make sure I'm not missing anything. Oh yeah, um, like heavy equipment. So after I completed that, before I even left the school, I, got, I received a call from uh, my, my unit, my battalion commander, essentially telling me that we were getting mobbed up again, and he wanted me to be a platoon leader. Um, he said we were only going as a what they would consider, I guess, a super company. Okay. So not as a battalion, but we were attaching our uh, company. It was like a retask organized us with just two platoons for route clearance and then a support platoon. So um, I was all about it, you know. And at the time, I guess I probably mentioned I was married now and uh, just had a kid. So oh boy. Um, that puts a little more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it does. And, and so – after that, um, right when I get done with EOBC, here I am. Now I'm doing MOB training again, and now I'm at Fort Bliss, Texas. <laughs> so uh, trained up for that, ended up uh, having a 33-man sapper platoon is, is uh, what I was in charge of. And our mission, once again, was route clearance, but this time it was going to be in Afghanistan. Can you explain, uh, like, what a sapper and a sapper platoon sure, is? Sure, So, you know, in the Army we have what's called sapper school, and that is a kind of like advanced engineering school. So um, a lot of your um, leadership typically goes to that school. I really didn't have an opportunity to because it seemed like I was constantly getting pushed other ways, but we also call a sapper company is more of your combat engineer companies that are centered around route clearance. So um, that's what they called us was a sapper company uh, that comprised of sappers. So essentially what, what we ended up doing, though, is um, I, I guess I backtracked. A, a sapper is a, a sapper school is a 28-day course there at Fort Leonard Wood. You do advanced demolitions. You do patrolling. It's almost kind of like a ranger school package with the engineering piece added to it. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. 
Nice. Yeah, the whole sleep deprivation, mm. the uh, the food thing. Yeah, that's that's a part of it as well. So sounds sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> um, so the deployment to Afghanistan. Um, I was 27, um, and got to lead over 150 combat patrols as a platoon leader. Uh, learned a lot of hard lessons in leadership. I learned a lot of lessons in the difference in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say too. Like the, the different, you know, you get, you know, Iraq is a lot of desert mm -hmm. and then Afghanistan, you got a lot of mountains. Absolutely. <laughs> Not to mention in Iraq, it was a lot of hardball road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. In Afghanistan, you're very rarely on any improved roads. Right. I mean, you're on gravel or moon dust or you feel like you're driving through a cornfield. You know, it's just, Whatever they make a road is a road. Right. So. A lot different, a lot of different terrain. A lot absolutely. Yeah. Which, that was the one of the biggest learning curves for me is with terrain also comes with how does that impact your mission and your equipment. Right. Right. So, um, in yeah. Iraq, you know, we could kind of put off a little bit of the maintenance on the equipment. You know, we'd ride it hard and we had maintenance guys there to, hey, to help us out. Oh, yeah. In Afghanistan, you're doing maintenance on the fly, on the route. You know, you're in heavy terrain. You're in up-armored vehicles that are not meant to be trekking up some of those mountains you're climbing. So, definitely an experience on that piece. Yeah, you got a heavy piece of equipment on a uh, unmaintained road. That's that has a cliff on the side. Yeah, that's that's hazardous right Absolutely. there in itself. So, so go ahead. no, go, go ahead. So what on 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 your take on that um you know you're talking you're in towns you're in you know things like that in iraq you know there's a lot of people a lot of you know so you're always but in afghanistan though everything could be a an ied right i mean so i know they plan them differently so i mean you guys had to learn all that that difference in from iraq and and so is that what you guys do in your training, or is that is it just you get there, then you learn? I mean, how is that? Um, uh, our MOB site prepared us, prepared us really well um, as far as that's concerned. You know, I, I think I realized in Iraq a lot of the IEDs were intended to hit um, logistic convoys that are, that are, you know, they're hauling from point A to point B as quick as possible. And so a small IED could take out, you know, just the mobility of that vehicle by popping a bunch of tires. Right. But in Afghanistan, it seemed like their intent with their IEDs was to completely demoralize, injure, take you out, right. and, and you know set you up for complex, complex ambushes. Uh, we did a lot less uh, clearing routes for logistic convoys, and from what we were told, we were clearing more of the routes for the local nationals okay. a lot yeah. of the time. Um, but yeah, the, the IEDs were completely different in composition. Uh, a lot more boom, I, I guess, so to say, and it, <coughs> and it didn't seem like, um, I, I remember in Iraq, a lot of the IEDs, you know, they would put something called Fugas on it, mm -hmm. and a lot of that to me was kind of like, you know, you'd have somebody filming it for propaganda, like, look how big this boom is in Afghanistan. They didn't need to do that, you right. know, they... That wasn't they, their idea, it was absolutely. propaganda, it was to hurt. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we went from finding IEDs that were packed in like mortar rounds in Af Iraq to finding deep buried 150 pound uh, homemade explosive IEDs in Afghanistan uh, a lot less frequent but a lot more lethal yeah yeah that their mindsets were different yeah yeah, yeah so and I, and kind of go back backtrack a little bit you know and you said you're you got deploying to Afghanistan and you were married and have a child, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think, and we've talked about this before as the, the families that stay behind, don't get enough credit of, you know, we go there, we've got our mission. we know what we're going to do. We get up, we do what we got to do. They have no idea what's going on. They, they it's, they're, they're stuck almost in limbo when they're scared that any moment somebody could pull up to the door or they get a phone call and the, the stresses of that on a family and, um, you know, not being able to see your kid, not, you know, and stuff like that is, I don't think these families get enough credit. So like kudos, kudos to your wife and stuff, man. And, um, for, for being 
the the mom and the dad and yeah. the bills and, and everything absolutely yeah. um I, I think too you know kind of backtracking with that is um I look back on it, and me and my wife have talked about this now, and, and knowing what I know about mental health, I know what I was doing at the time, but I also felt like I, I kind of emotionally shut off to my family probably about two months before, and, uh, you know, I guess that was my way of kind of trying to ease that pain of knowing I'm leaving or, you know, knowing that something could happen. I felt like that was my way of doing that. And kind of looking back, I missed out on a lot of that moments, you know, anytime, two mo- even though it's two months, mm-hmm. you know, those were, those were two months I missed in those major milestones that my daughter was having at the time. So, yeah, you know, I think I can't give my wife enough credit. Um, she was just a phenomenal, the way she handled everything. We were in the process of building a house. She finished all of that up while I could take care of things. I think that, you know, Definitely having a wife that's supportive of what you're doing um, and, and one you don't have to worry about with finances. I mean, that made things so much easier for me to focus and do my job. Well, so. and that's important because at that point, you know, you're learning a new process, even though it's the same job, but it's still it's totally different. Yeah. And, you know, so for you, it's important and it's important for anybody that's doing that to take that time to learn that. And if you're worried about, you know, what color of paint's going on a wall mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so you you know it, you kind of have to shut down which i i can't say i don't i wasn't married I, I you know i didn't get married till i was out but i had several marines that were with me that were and and you know and then there again my time was a little different we didn't have a lot of that we, i mean you know, there was like one place we could go and and call yeah and you know there was one place you can go check an email yeah you know so you know those guys were just sitting there like i don't know what's going on back home right you know so and i from what i gather like i said i wasn't married but it seemed like you know um back home um my battalion especially my you know my unit that i was with and back home they were really you know the wives were together doing a lot of you know they were they were trying to keep which is great i think that's absolutely that shows a lot of you know, uh, what America's about, you know, you, yeah, just, and, you know, you can see it on, you watch it on Hollywood, on the movies, and you're like, oh, yeah, I wonder if that really happens. Well, it does, you know, uh, yeah. from what I gather. So, you know, they're not really alone. They are when it comes to a lot of things, but they also have resources mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, that they can, now, that's limited. It's yeah. very limited, but at least they have, you know, they have that. They have that ability to reach out to someone. So that, you know, the got to give you know, the props to the military and the families and, and, you know, someone has to step up and be like, I'm going to do this for these, you know, this whole, you know, this whole unit or company and, and, uh, they're all gone. So we need to stick together. You know, if you need anything here, here I am, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think that's really cool that that happens, you know, cause I mean, like I said, I was single, so it, I didn't have to worry about that stuff, you know, but I did see that. I, I mean, you know, I understand, you know, the only thing we were getting was letters, and they could have been months behind, you know, from what the problem they were having at home at that time when they was writing that letter. Right. They call. They finally get the call, and they're like, ah, that's already over with. You yeah. know, so, um, yeah, yeah, it's, my, yeah, props to the wives, props to the people that, that get together like that, the groups, the, you know, the things that, that it's, it really takes that. Yeah. You know, it takes that on the home front because, weren't you know, you weren't there to take care of those problems, yep. you know, so – um, the battle isn't just over there. It's at home too, you know, with that kind of stuff. They're, yeah. they're battling every day to, and also you, you got to think they're sitting at home wondering if you're still alive or if you're hurt, you know, just because it happens today, they may not know for a few days, you yeah. know, so, or even longer sometimes, um, especially in Afghanistan. You know, that's what I was going to say on, on that part was in Iraq, you know, you call for, for, you know, medic, uh, you know, air flight, chopper and they're going to come in they can find a place pretty much anywhere in iraq to come in you know close enough mm-hmm. afghanistan not so much no you know you've got to figure out hey we're right here on the side of this mountain where can they come that's going to be easier safe to land you know or you have to hump like, out somewhere or, or get them out you yeah. know so i mean i'm sure you've seen that i know absolutely that's people don't you see it on the movies you know and yeah. things but in real life that is an actual logistically that is a a thing that they have to think about, yeah. you know. So, yeah. I know in Af- you know in Iraq was 
like I said, man, they pop some smoke. Well, and, you you yeah. just go clear an area. Yep. You know, and and you hold you Got hold you security, an LZ. and there you go. You yeah. know, and here yeah. they come. But that's not so. That's not such a case, the case in in Afghanistan. You know, and you guys were doing that for not just our people, but for the Af- Afghanis and mm-hmm. stuff like that too. You know, the security teams and um, so. It's different. I don't think people sometimes, even like myself, you know, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of research, talked to a lot of people that were there. So I kind of get a, a more of a just gist of what happened. But that is a, a big thing, you know, Absolutely. like you guys going in there like that and, you know, talking to some of the guys that I've talked to. It's, they're just like, man, you you don't know where uh, you're going to have to find a place to be safe. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It may take hours. Yeah. To get somewhere and secure that place to, for a chopper to come in and get somebody, you know, or even bait bait you in to call in a Helis. Well, Helo that's their main so goal. Take it down. Shoot it down too. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, we we actually landed a <laughs> we landed a medevac in a creek bed off the side of a mountain once. We had an we had a guy we had a medevac and we're like you know we could backtrack five miles this way, push forward down a route that we hadn't cleared yet, or go into the creek bed. So we had to kind of scale down the mountain. Unfortunately, the whole reason we were calling it in is because one of our guys went down the mountain. Oh, man. And we had to scale down there, get him, uh, and, and call in a medevac. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, moving forward, you know, my interpreter is probably going to be on the podcast later. But yeah. he, he can probably recall that day. He was such a big help on that day, getting people back, even comforting the guy, you know. Wow. Uh, so hopefully when he's on, he can tell more into that story and – and hopefully he remembers it. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he remembers it. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. we can remember to bring it up. That might. Oh yeah, be. yeah. Um, so what was one of the things I wanted to ask you too, as far as when you said earlier, the like you know enlisted guys a lot of times were like, you know, we can do that better. Well, you know, critiquing the leadership. Yeah. So whenever you decided to take the initiative and become that leader, like. What kind of adjustment and like what I know you said you learned some hard lessons, Mm -hmm. but what did you take away from um, your leadership style? What worked for you and what you were able to do to get the best out of your men? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I I, I have to also credit some of the good things I learned as an enlisted soldier from some of my own leaders. Yeah, Um, I know uh, one of my squad leaders in Iraq, I remember kind of when when things were going down just the calm in his voice the way he handled things it made me it, you know it made me feel like uh I wasn't in like combat you know it was like no we're just we're doing a dance or something you know mm-hmm. and, and so I just remember as an enlisted soldier what that felt like to have a leader that felt calm and competent and I wanted to do the same um, so that was one of the things I tried to adopt in, as in my leadership styles. When things were going south, I never wanted my guys to feel like I was shaken. And if you ever talked to them, they used to make fun of me and said I sound like Mr. Rogers over the radio when stuff was going down, you know. <laughs> but I just I wanted, you know, I take a deep breath, assess the situation, give command or order, and go from there. Yeah. Um, the major lesson I guess I learned at the very beginning is is control and humility you know i i was responsible for those 33 guys and i felt the need sometimes that this is my plan this is the way it's going to be and i learned quickly that worked against me you know it worked against me in many ways and so one of the leadership styles i think i adopted that i saw went really well was really kind of just empowering my soldiers you know, before missions, you know, if we were given a mission like, hey, yeah, you're going out here, you're clearing this route at this point right here, there's possibly an IED, you know, how do you plan to negotiate that? And so instead of me coming up with my plan, I try to incorporate those guys that were going to be doing the actions on the objective. And so pulling them to the side, including them into the prior mission planning, and then actually having them brief that part of the mission you know, I've seen leaps and bounds in what my platoon's capabilities were and what my guys, you know, how much buy-in they had into the mission. And uh, and so that was one of the things that I really felt like helped me as a leader is I'm just there to guide things. You know, these guys are doing it. I'm not there to take the credit. They're the ones that are doing the work. I'm just there as the guide. Right. So, right. yeah, those, those are the main things that I learned, I think. Yeah, and I think that – and. 
and I can piggyback off that because I feel like is like the good leaders I had was the guys that I would break my back for that I absolutely knew cared about me. Mm-hmm. So I would do I'd go to hell and back for them. Right. And whenever you you know let your soldiers be a part of that, and they're like, he trusts me. Like the, people don't understand like what that does to you mentally to know that man, my leader trusts me. Yeah. Like it it, it gives you so much confidence. And, and it's going to help you grow as a leader. And it, it those are the things that they'll take away whenever they're in a position of leadership. And, and in the military, you're almost always in a position of leadership, whether it's a, to a peer mm-hmm. or, or someone, you know, under you or whatever. Man, that's and that, that's that's awesome. Well, I think that's why it's such a good foundation um, for people. You know, and I, I there again, you know, you were a little older, but there but when you were an enlisted, you weren't. And there's there's times, like you said, that everybody is going to get put in those positions. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's why the military and I think that that's why a lot of companies, you know, that what you just said goes a long ways in life. And when you're becoming a leader, when you're becoming a boss, um, that calm, you know, that calmness within the chaos that 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 is what keeps that's the difference in a good leader and somebody that has to get pulled because they they freeze up they freak out whatever it is you know and i think you can go most most people that were in the military can can name at least one at least one so i mean i can name several that i I had some great great leaders Mm -hmm. um as well but they can name at least one person that they go yeah you know staff sergeant so-and-so you know or, or whoever and that they looked at that person even if they were kind of a mediocre soldier marine whatever uh airmen whatever it is they they could still pick one person that they're like yeah man he, you know i can learn i learned from him because yeah. of his his the way he did it you yeah. know and you got to kind of be like a chameleon you got to adjust there's certain Absolutely. people that take mm-hmm. you know criticism better there's you know so yeah I, I i think what you just said i think if people would take that into life as as uh you know in leadership, if you know, and most people, like I said, even in life, you're going to be a leader. Somebody's watching yeah. you. You don't know who's watching you. You know, yeah. so I think uh, that that's a great example. That's a great way to lead. Mm-hmm. I think you chose the right path because um, my uh, that's the way I lead people. You know, today, if you know, when I'm coaching, whenever you know, well, what did you think you did wrong, or what did you think that would have worked better? Yeah, you know, because they know a lot of times, especially in the military, we've all been trained. Uh, now there may be something new or, or something that you know that come from above. You know, hey, this is going to happen right here. You know, we know that, and you know, of course, that's your job to. Hey, here's what's going to happen. But I like the way that you you know you said, okay, here it is. Here's the plan. Now tell me your plan to execute it. Absolutely. You know, so that's that's great leadership. Absolutely. Awesome. I'll tell you too. I I don't think there's anything more rewarding than to see those guys that you were a leader over and see them turn into leaders now or or to hear, get feedback from them, you know, where they're at in life and them thanking you for some of those lessons you taught them yeah. and, and how they've taken that and used it. I can't tell you how rewarding that is to hear back from them and, and just see their progression in life and their own goals. So. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, what's great about, again, yeah. that's, what's great about the military is, is if you, you know, it's like anything, you're only going to get out what you put in. Yeah. But, um, I think that that was, I understand, you know, because yeah. I talk to my leaders and then I talk to people that, you know, I was over and, and watch them, you know, friends on Facebook, things like that, and watching them succeed and, and become, you know, a gentleman that was a corporal whenever I was just a Lance Corporal. He kind of moved up. He was there before me, but, you know, now he's a sergeant major of, of uh, the 3-5, th- the you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, wow. You know, I mean, this guy, I looked up to him, you know, and I mean, yeah, he was just you know, I mean, I was just right behind him every step he took, you know, other than, you know, when he kept going and I didn't, you know, but to, to see him, you know, and it was like, you know, we had similar leadership skills and, you know, ideas and things. And it's like, man, if he, if he was doing that, I know he's influencing others because he was me, you mm-hmm. know? So yeah, I understand what you're saying. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think too, is, um, and the, there's a difference between a leader and a boss, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and I bring up this the, the picture I've told Dell this before. There's a I found uh, it was on Facebook or something, and it shows this big old concrete block, and this guy sitting in a chair on top of the block, and then three guys pulling the block, and it says boss. And then the next picture is that big old concrete block, 
and four guys pulling the block and it says leader you know so the and not only is like these guys going to um want to do anything for you but you're gonna ultimately have their respect and yeah. and, and you're creating a, it's like generations it's like a ripple effect yeah mm-hmm. so they may be young or whatever now but something you know like you said these guys that are like man you know because as we grow and we mature we look back and, and we're like man he was right <laughs> yeah. gummit. you know i don't like to admit it but yeah right. exactly well and i think a lot of it is you know you had already been there yeah you know i know when you I know how it is when that new officer steps up and he's young and he's at, you know, and you're just like, you know, he just got out of college, mm-hmm. but you know, you still have to respect him or whatever. And, and I always did. But when a Mustang walked in and you know, he, he starts, you're just like, yeah. Cause you've been there, you yeah. know, you and you're know. like that. He's one of us. Yeah. Well, you, you feel, know. you feel my pain yeah. cause you've been here, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that that's, a big thing for you probably back then was they were like, man, I can't say, well, you wouldn't know because you ain't been there. You've been there, yeah. you, you know. Yeah. Even, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the you know officers uh, that were never enlisted before, they just you know, and and some of them do know their they know their stuff. They're trained, but but what I'm saying is is you know how it is to be a a, a PFC and a and a you know a, a, what is it a, a not a specialist, specialist yeah. you know, so, so that, that, that helps man. And a sergeant, you know, so you come through that. So they're just like, you know, they can't use that old saying, well, you wouldn't know how it feels to be like this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. So <laughs> I, I think that's a lot, you know, uh, to your, to your leadership is that, and that's again in life, you know, if, if you've been, if you show, if you lead by example, people see that, you yeah. know, so that's great, man. So you, you're in Afghanistan. How long were you deployed to Afghanistan? So um, I was there for 10 months. So a deployment to Iraq was 12 months with a two-week leave. Deployment to Afghanistan was 10 months with no leave. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I stayed 10 straight months. Um, we completed our mission. I would say the most successful thing is I brought every single one of my guys back. That's awesome. Um, you know, we demobed from Fort Bliss again. And uh, from there uh is where things got started to get a little hairy i guess um so when i got back you know obviously in your career you progress and i wasn't ready for that you know and uh, i think my first duty assignment was after that i was put as a xo of a headquarters company Uh, and then shortly after that i was put on a battalion staff and here i am you know uh used to being on the ground running with the guys and now i'm in the office planning operations and uh i quickly realized that that's not really what I wanted, right, you know. That's right. not. That's not. Not it, why you was there. Yeah, not why yeah. I was there. Um, and so, I uh, I ended up having some injuries from my second deployment that I had to get taken care of. Had a few surgeries on some shoulders, uh, and ankle. Um, but essentially, what I ended up doing was um, I realized it, things were starting to turn for me to want to get out, and I'm starting to look at what's my path next. Uh, uh, first thing I did was I took a contracting job when I got out. I put in my resignation, and everything went well with that. I put in my resignation. I took a contracting job to go back to Afghanistan uh, to train Afghan Army soldiers on how to deploy um, different mine detectors. And uh, so I ended up going through that process and uh, find out a month later after I am already went through all of this stuff, flew to D.C., Flew to Bliss to demo again. Find out that the contract ends and I'm the newest guy there. So, oh no, uh, month wasted. So, <laughs> uh, I get back and you know I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, I struggled for a bit. Like, what's my purpose now? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, I started to realize I was doing stupid, simple things like walking out of my house, driving down the road, fully dressed with my house shoes still on, locking my keys in my truck. I'm like. You know what's going on with me? Uh, here I am. I'm leading. I get done leading these combat missions, and now I'm having problems with simple tasks. And so, yeah. I call it my couch days. Mm-hmm. You know, I had I had a, a few months there of couch days where I finally kind of looked in the mirror and was like, um, "What do you want to do with yourself?" I'd started working at the post office. Hated it. 
<laughs> same thing every day. Yeah. Same thing every day. And I was like, this ain't for me. You know, the pay's good, but I want something different. And, I, you know, I, I remember throughout my process of DMOB and uh, even after I got out, you know, I uh, had a social worker that helped me get a lot of my medical records and whatnot. Um, and I just remember kind of, I never knew what a social worker was right. until then. Um, I just remember kind of just how helpful they were and just, uh, the warmth and, um, the compassion. And so I started to look into that, like, what would it take for me to be a social worker? And so, uh, I realized that I didn't need to get another undergrad degree. I already had a degree that would qualify for me to go into a master's degree program for social work. And um, I knew that I wanted to work with veterans. So that, that was my in-state goal. Um, so I ended up uh, getting into the master's degree program at Arkansas State for social work. And uh, I ended up completing it in two years and graduating in 2017. And uh, after that, you know, you move into your licensure stages. And I, I worked in uh, community mental health for a while, uh, providing outpatient therapy services. And all the while, you know, my in-state goal is, like I said, working with veterans. And I had a bunch of opportunities in between there. You know, I got to do an internship at a vet center. And, and to me, it just reinforced even more what I wanted to do. Right. And so, you know, kind of going being where I'd been um, knowing kind of like the veterans resources out there um, I felt like that was going to be a good fit for me so that's where I am today you know helping veterans today um, trying to use a lot of the things I learned from the military some of the leadership skills uh, some of the hardship things I went through <laughs> yeah learning and, and applying all those things to my everyday work so yeah and um, that's and, you know, if you're listening out there, you know, he's he's no different than, you know, you guys or us or whatever. You know, he's been through some dark times and he's able to come out successful. And but I mean, it takes hard work. You got to put your nose to the grindstone and be willing to um, put in some hours because at that time that you're putting in compared to the end game, it's, it's a small amount of time that that you're really you invest in to get an, an awesome outcome. And, uh, and one thing I did want to ask you too, as far as, you know, we talk about dark times and things like that. But one thing that I know we kind of talked about, touched on a little bit was like moral injury oh, that yeah. we haven't talked about really at all yeah. on our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I can, I could tell you the mental health side of it, but I'll tell you my own personal experience. I think it's more relatable. Um, I was at a conference and at this time I'm, already a social worker so i'm go i'll go to this conference at arkansas state it's a social work conference and uh, they have all these speakers come in and um one of them was a chaplain for i think he was out of the memphis va and he came to talk to us about this thing called moral injury and uh at the time i, I knew what morals are and i'm thinking well what is moral injury and uh so he, he laid it out there and i just remember that day hearing the way he explained it i was like wow you know, that I felt like that really applies to me and kind of, you know, I never really felt like I struggled with some of the things you hear about, like the stereotypical PTSD things. Uh, but I did feel like moral injury applied to me because, you know, I grew up, I grew up, you know, my grandparents, I was in church a lot. Um, I felt like I had very strong morals about with my religion, doing good, never harming others. And, and so, you know, obviously be honest here and the war is not a pretty thing there's there's death there's there's injury there's a lot of things that sometimes you feel like goes against what you've been raised you know morally to, mm -hmm. to believe is good and so I'd realized that day kind of some of the things I'd struggle with and for me personally I think that it was part of the reason I noticed when I got back that I avoided going to church you know I avoided yeah. uh, facing kind of the facing God, I guess, you mm -hmm. know, kind of like feeling ashamed or, and, or, or guilty of something. And so, um, I ended up sitting down and talking with, uh, one of our associate pastors about everything and, um, just my experiences and, and, 
my faith. And I really felt like just that one conversation with him and just kind of going through some of the scriptures that talk about it. And, uh, man, it was just such a weight off my, my shoulders. But, you know, I see a lot of veterans out there that, you know, did, especially here in the Bible Belt, they come oh, from yeah. similar upbringings. And they're kind of blindsided by what moral injury is. So I kind of want to put that information out there. You know, I personally felt like the best person for me to talk to was someone of faith or, or my, at the time, my associate pastor uh, to put some clarity to things. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Like, yeah, we haven't not really something we've kind of like like you said, like when you heard it, you're like, you know, what? You yeah. Because, you know, we're, you know strong in our faith and you know we've talked about that a lot on here and to go you know you, you go through the bible and it's like thou shalt not kill and all these other things mm-hmm. but then you're going over there and you're having to balance like uh, you know I'm, I'm trying to protect people but then you know you could be taking life and you know so it's um it's it's definitely something that i know a lot of veterans probably deal with you know mm-hmm. so that that's awesome to get out there yeah i think that's something that you know a lot of like you said i mean i I grew up in church you know and that was a a struggle you know but also our training kicks in yeah you know it's it's you know that's that's part of it and then and then it becomes it just it's a daily routine it's your job you know what i mean so you just and then when you get home you start thinking you know then that's when those those thoughts about, like you said, the, the, the actual damage that you have about your morals and, and you're, you know, you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I think a lot of people don't realize that that actually is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, best thing that, you know, we always thought that was not to talk about it, bury it. Yeah. You know, I know my great grandpa never talked about world war two, you know, came home, went to work, raised a family, you know, and that, and, you know, became more, you know, strong in his faith later in his life. But I think that that's uh, a, a real struggle in, in people today. And, and it's almost something that people don't want to talk about. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like you said, you were like, you know, uh, first off, you got to know what it is. Yep. And mm-hmm. then second off, you got to know who to talk to. Yeah. So, you know, it's good that you have that, that uh, avenue when you're talking to veterans on your daily daily routine, your daily job to be able to, to bring that up because mm-hmm. they're, they're not used to that. I'm telling you, I was, you know, when you said that, I was like, where's he going with this moral yeah. damage, you know, just now, you yeah. know, but I understand because yeah. I've been there, you know, and yes, you know, you, and of course then when you become a father and, you know, you're trying to raise your kids to, to you know, to have that same, those same morals, the same beliefs. And then, you know, it's, it's almost like a push pull because yeah. you're like, you know, I'm, I'm telling them this, and still fighting in my head or, you know, Oh yeah. But, you know, so that's, that's really awesome, man. Uh, yeah. I think that's a really cool subject. I, I think that's something that a lot of veterans need to look into because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I get it, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of them turn away. I, I know a lot of veterans we talk, we've talked to have said, you know, well, I'm spiritual, you know, I'm not religious, which is, you know, I understand that. Right. But, um, I think when you start digging into that, when you start peeling those those layers of mm-hmm. that back, man, it could get, it could help. Yeah. You know, it could get deep in your your thoughts, and you know, I, I I did something similar. Like I wouldn't even go into a church when I come. I mean, for years, yeah. you know, growing up in church, and just was like, well, I'm not going until I got married, you know, and 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 then had a kid, and then then I started going more, you know, because one of my kids raised in church and this and that, and then. Same thing, talking to a pastor one time was like, this is, you know, what I'm struggling with, you know, mm-hmm. doing this, but, you know, and and he kind of laid it out like that, too. You know, it's part of your job. You know, you have to do it, and if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be where we are. Too. We wouldn't be who this country is today if it wasn't for people to go over there and do what you have to do, right. you know. Right. So that's still a struggle, I think, but it's good to know that there's coping mechanisms out there mm-hmm. you know like like you going around talking to veterans and how telling your story and and how you deal with it is important and i think you know more veterans need to hear that you know because that's a big one i i, I know i like i said i struggle with it oh so yeah. I, yeah that's awesome man that's, and, that's awesome. and i think what's great is 
the fact that you get veterans in these positions to help other veterans, but constantly finding you're finding like you know the the moral injury, like like I said, we had never really talked. But like when you mm-hmm. said that to me the other day, I was like, yeah, like boom, like it's a, you know light bulb goes off and you start thinking about it. But as as veterans and when we get in positions to serve each other and things like that, I will say that veterans are relentless and we will and you know we witnessed this today with the veteran with the dog and like we're for the most part we're going to be out there to take care of each other Mm -hmm. and by constantly learning and gaining knowledge and looking at other things out there that we could do to help each other is is what i i love about our community yeah so it's we're constantly looking out for each other and i know you know we talk and me and dell's talked about how just because you know we leave what we're doing doesn't mean when we go home we're not thinking about this veteran or that veteran or you know this veteran's counting on me to you know see them or talk to them and you know we've talked about my greatest therapy what helps me the most is talking talking to other veterans man and like doing this like this is it it recharges the batteries it lets me know that oh well there's people out there that's like me and and um maybe a little crazy and and deal with some crazy stuff sometimes yeah. but well, and i think that you know i do want to stress that that's not just veterans that, right that right have right. that you know yeah. man when you start when you started talking about that i was thinking of like firefighters oh, yeah. oh, oh, police officers yeah. uh ems people that are dealing with you know and they're not really taking life they're trying to help but what i'm saying is is it's a struggle well police officers sometimes have to but it's a struggle with being around different things different you know different situations that you know you may have to if you can't get to somebody a house fire that's exactly what i was thinking you know is you know a firefighter have to be like we can't go in there it's too dangerous you know i mean you have to sit there and think about that later on and you know that that's another uh a damage that that i you know and or you know i know a lot of this is crazy that i think of this but it's because I, i used to work on the railroad is conductors you know, they're doing a job. Somebody doesn't get off the track. They hit, you know, I have an uncle that worked out there for 40 years and he was a conductor. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times he's hit people on the track, you oh, know, wow. and he was just doing his job, Yeah. you know, but there again, you know, where's that fine line between you're just doing your job and you just took, you know, two 16 year old girls lives. Yeah. You know, so he, yeah. it's, it's moral damage. You know, yeah. they, those, when you was talking about that, that's what my, where my mind was just not just veterans. This could be everyday people uh. that are going through things that, you know, um, have to have that struggle as well. So that's awesome. I think that's something that people need to look into and think about. Yeah. Um, cause I've never had until you just mentioned it. That's a, yeah. that's a really good subject and I'm glad you guys brought it up. Um, yeah, that's good, man. Yeah. And I think that, uh, um out there listening if you have questions you know we talk about this all time in every episode like reach out to us like if we don't know the answer we're gonna find out we'll put you in the right direction um but like this stuff like like dale and i don't know much about it but we're gonna find out for you and you know like you were saying too uh, and i want to touch on this um the you know, other than veterans and, and things, you know, like firemen, EMS, police, nurses, doctors, but also like, you know, childhood trauma, like seeing things, you know, oh, yeah. or things and breaking that cycle. And I mean, it's just the, the, or maybe you've seen your sibling get beat or molested or something and you didn't do, you didn't step in and try to stop that. And you're, you're battling that. Like you, people will battle that their entire lives and and you know like i should have stepped in or whatever so or i should have said something to stop it if it was happening to me yeah whatever yeah so i like you know just like dale said i wanted to you know not just veterans we talk a lot about veterans because that's our general community who we are and what we've done but everything we talk about and things that we've went through it everybody we're all human beings you know it it everything affects us as far as trauma and things like that. If, I mean, it may not affect, affect everybody the same, but we're all, it's, it can happen to any of us. Yeah. I think it's not the, it's not the 
level of it, uh, how it affects you. I think it's the way you cope with it, yeah. how you deal with it. Yeah. You know, I think that's where uh, some some people just have, um, you know, different levels of uh, coping ability. I don't know what you call it, uh, strength maybe. Yeah. I don't know, but anyway, it, it's it's a. It doesn't mean you're weak. When I say that, it's just that it's just different for everybody. Right, you know, right. everybody. Something that happens to me may affect me way different than yeah. it does you. You know. I think me personally, I think the moral injury applied to me the most because I felt like before I got into service, religion was very high on my values. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I grew up kind of around chaos a little bit. So the chaos piece didn't really affect me as much. I was accustomed to that, used right. to it. But yeah, the, the I feel like going into it, what you value, if it goes against that kind of your scheme of belief, that's kind of going to be the area that you're most likely going to have some difficulties with. So, and figuring out how to cope with absolutely, yeah, yeah that that's that's big. I think that's um, something people have to learn to to deal with, you know. And like mm-hmm. like you said, you know, you got to find somebody, so, you know, some way to, and it may be just talking about it. Yeah, maybe you know, whatever it is, you know, yeah. that's what we want our listeners to know is that you yeah. can't just keep that bottled in. Yeah, and 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 two, you know. I remember going into there to talk to the associate pastor. He's not a veteran. And, and it's like, this is the first person I'm going to share some of this stuff with that makes me very vulnerable, yeah. you know? And I remember just the non-judgmental approach that he had and just the compassion he showed me. And I think that's one of the most important things for me. That lesson was, Hey, this guy didn't like, Oh, you're, you're dirty or you, I can't mm-hmm. believe you, you know? Yeah. And that was the, those were the thoughts that were going through my mind. If I share this, like what happened, people are going to judge that. And they're going to think I'm a bad person or, you know, I'm not worthy to be in here in God's house, you know? And oh, so yeah. just if you in that position, you know, take that step, allow yourself to be vulnerable, even with people outside of your veterans community. If you are a veteran, um, find someone that, you know, you can trust or someone that, you know, is close with you or your family and, and you feel comfortable sharing and, and do that, take that step. Absolutely. Man, I don't find I can't find a better way to end this. That that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, I appreciate you coming on, yeah, man. Yeah, appreciate it, you guys having me. It's it's been great and uh looking looking forward to having uh what do you guys call him? Rock. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the the turp. I don't I don't know that I've ever seen or heard a podcast with a turp on, so I'm I'm really excited to get him on here and hear his story. Um, I mean, and living the American dream right yeah. now, which yes. is absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'm so proud. And of sacrifice, it. and I want people to understand, like how much he sacrificed for the United States of America. Yeah, like, yeah. We don't we don't really see that because it's behind the scenes, but it's big, man. That's a big thing. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you, guys. And, yeah, uh, man. Hey, if you guys are out there listening, you guys, we tell you every week. You know, there's ways to hit. You know, hit us up if you got a question, got an issue. Um, you know, reach out to us social media, um, Facebook, whatever it is. Tiki Talk. TikTok, yeah, anything. We have it all. So Instagram, just look us up and uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you. <laughs>